0: Hey everyone, I'm Shrey Batra. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. Today we are going to talk about big data and how to build scalable applications. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lin, and today we're talking with Shrey Batra. He is a developer and a longtime member of the MongoDB community. He's got a lot of experience building applications, specifically with MongoDB and working with big data and today he shares his experience around some of the things that you as a developer will need to think about if you want to build applications that can scale stay tuned i hope you enjoy this episode before we get to the show i want to let you know about mongodb.local london it's a great conference it's hybrid you can attend in person if you're in london on november 9th at evolution london it's also available remotely for more information visit mongodb.link slash London local. I hope to see you there. Well, Shrey, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. Uh, it's great to to finally spend some time with you. I mean, we've been, you know, working together separately in the MongoDB community for quite some time, and it's, it's good to spend some time with you. So uh, thanks for taking the time.
0: Thanks, Michael. Looking forward to, you know, have a chit-chat with you.
1: Terrific. So where are you based right now? Where where are you at in the world?
0: Uh I am based out of Delhi NCR that's India. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah and I'll be switching over to Bangalore again in India uh mm-hmm. once the pandemic you know uh, subsides.
1: Yeah has has the pandemic affected your work at all? How how has it affected your work?
0: Uh not really. So being in the software industry and you know uh, working on uh coding and also it's quite comfortable. You can work remote and, you know, you just have to code and collab and everything. So not yeah. much, but yeah.
1: I know you're working at LinkedIn. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today really doesn't have much to do with your your job at LinkedIn. Is that correct?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I have been working with MongoDB uh, in my, you know, personal space for uh, multiple roles and, you know, multiple freelance jobs and everything, but not really around my LinkedIn current job.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Do you want to briefly describe your experience with MongoDB? How long have you been working with it? And and what kind of things have you done in the community?
0: Yeah, so I first got introduced to MongoDB around five years back, if I'm not wrong. And um, uh, I started using MongoDB for my first intern interview, actually. So there was a bonus marks to use MongoDB if you want to back that uh, internship. And that's the first time I, you know, uh, got to learn MongoDB and all. So it was quite easy. It just took me an hour or two, maybe. And it, uh, I was happy enough that I got the internship. So yeah, I started my journey over there. And uh, in the community, I've been in and around uh, from all the aspects of MongoDB. So using the MongoDB free version to using Atlas, uh, participating in the World Hackathon, uh, giving uh, you know multiple talks in MongoDB.live, and just, you know, participating in almost every part of MongoDB, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And we, we truly appreciate that. You've been quite active in the, in the MongoDB community. And uh, I truly appreciate your, your talks at, at our conferences like MongoDB.live and MongoDB World. It's awesome yeah. stuff. Always great content. So thank you for that. So, Thanks, um, so today we wanted to focus on big data. And, and I think it might be good if we start out with a definition. Like, what is big data?
0: Yeah, Michael, this is actually a very important thing to, you know, clarify before we start. Uh, Everyone around the world actually looks at big data only in the terms of data and how to compute big data. And that is the offline part of it. Like, you know, systems like Hadoop, HDFS and uh, Hadoop, HDFS and Spark and similar stuff, right? But big data is almost everything related to your normal application development. So any application you want to scale and you want to serve to millions of users, clients, or, uh, you know, there is a lot of read and writes that are going to happen on your application is around big data. So it's not just computing it in an offline world, but how to scale your online application or a real-time use case, maybe some data modeling, some architecture changes and somehow, and scale it to a level that is serving for millions and billions of clients and users.
1: Mm. So it's kind of a fallacy that big data is this, you know, separate thing. It has to be separate from your your standard application development cycle, it sounds like. Is that correct?
0: Correct, correct. That's the thinking that goes around in the industry. But it's normal backend software development, uh, so as to speak, in normal terms. It's just how you remodel your applications or design your application in a way for a very scalable or huge scale system. That's it.
1: Mm. Be it yeah.
0: online, offline.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then I think it might make sense if we focus on some of the things that we do in the application development cycle that that can prepare us for that large scale. So maybe talk a little bit about how you approach, you know, making your applications so that they are scalable.
0: Sure, sure. So see, there are two, three things that you need to think about that are very important in any application design. The first part being the software architecture. Yes, building a system that is uh, having a CRUD operations like read and writes and everything are good. But say, what if your database scales, right? It scales to millions and billions of rows. How do you optimize your queries? Uh, is having a read query or computing the data at uh, real time, is it a good pattern? Yes or no, it depends on your use case, right? Uh, say for example, can you compute some pre-cache data Or can you, uh, you know, architecture, event-driven pattern kind of thing. Depends on the use case, but the foremost and the main important things are the software design, software architecture, and the data modeling. That, be it a SQL, NoSQL, any kind of database, it depends on your data modeling, and data modeling depends on the database that you're using, Mm. uh, what features it can support, and how better it can scale your application.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I I feel like it's a difficult task to approach this in a generic way. It's very difficult to say, I'm going to do this in order to scale my application without truly understanding what the use case and the use pattern is for the application, the target user community, right?
0: Got it, got it,
1: got it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about data modeling. You know, there's this uh, belief that with MongoDB, I mean, it's quite flexible. You don't need to spend much time modeling. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Correct, correct. So the first thing anyone starts using MongoDB is the term NoSQL, right? And everyone thinks that, okay, it's not SQL. I mean, I can dump anything in MongoDB, right? Technically, it is true. But should we dump anything in MongoDB? No, right? So it is not only SQL. It's a flexible system. But yes, it does have some data modeling, uh, some structuring into it. That's how you actually model your data, right? It is just the perspective in which you think about the data. Uh, In an SQL world, you'll have tables, relations, joins, and so on, right? But coming to the MongoDB world, your focus remains on what data has to be accessed together. Uh, How do you structure your data that there are minimum joins? uh, It is highly available. Uh, What do you need more for reads? And how do you are uh, going to structure your writes? So it's a different world, different perspective but yes mm-hmm. mongodb is about data modeling also it is not dump anything in mongodb and it can scale right <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah so so when we talk about you know the actual process of modeling you know yeah. there's not really this separate uh, schema that lives somewhere apart from the data with mongodb correct. Correct. when you when you model mongodb you're really creating example documents is that correct
0: Yes, yes. So, uh, see, the biggest feature or the biggest plus point of MongoDB is you can have different types of schema in a single collection, in a single table, so to say, right? So, the thing is that it can evolve over the time. That is why it is so flexible. Uh, With a very hard, strict schema, it is going to be very difficult to change it down the line. And as you are talking about scalable systems, once you get enough big scale, there is it is bound to fail, it's bound to crash. You can't think of the perfect ideal scenario from day one, right? Uh, using MongoDB, it's very fast, you know, you can change the schema, you can do migrations, it can uh, be like a lazy type of migrations. There are multiple patterns, you can have uh, diff, just, you know, similar documents living in the same collection and so on. So I guess we have a full series of data uh, modeling on MongoDB blog and people can go there and there are a lot of patterns over there that you can just check and just read about.
1: Yeah, that's great. And thanks for that reference. And if folks listening uh, wanna dive in and get some more information on data model uh, examples and patterns, you can search for just that in the docs.mongodb.com site. So search for data model examples and patterns and I'll link to that in the show notes. So take a look at the show notes. The process of data modeling um, it's not a static exercise, right? You're you're going to you're going to have to revisit this. And what's your approach to to creating your first model, and then and then testing it? You know, how how long do you run your application before you begin to to do some performance testing?
0: Uh, sure. So there are basics around data modeling. So thinking the user into perspective that okay. Uh, What is the use case? What is the data that the user is frequently going to access? So if for just giving an example, if you have large objects in a collection, large documents and say uh, the user is only going to retrieve the description or the address, whereas he is not going to have all addresses retrieved uh, in, you know, all calls. So you can partition those out into separate collections, saying only the most frequent data lives in a separate collection Whereas the detailed uh, uh, information lives in a separate collection, and you can model them differently. So it goes. Uh, uh, it goes with the user, you know, use cases. That how you wanna uh, serve your users. And yeah, with over time, you can change the model to a better approach. Uh, you, depending on you know how your uh, application is behaving and so on.
1: Mm. And um, I, I guess a, a really important uh, aspect of being able to scale is is sharding. Tell me about um, how, how do you start to think about how to partition the databases?
0: So let's talk about the uh, traditional architecture. You have a database, you have collection or tables, and you have rows or documents, right? Now, uh, when it scales, it scales from 1,000 rows or uh, documents to, say, maybe uh, 10,000, 100,000, or, say, a 1, uh, 1 million documents. Now, what happens is there is a limit to vertical scaling. However uh, big computation machine that you get, there is a limit or an upper bar to it, right? But how about we break this single collection or a single table in multiple machines, in smaller chunks, so as to say we have distributed processing. So rather than having a one single collection on a single machine, which is serving all the queries, we can first distribute them, uh, say maybe... Uh, okay, so we have 100 rows, right? We can build 10 partitions, saying a row number one, to 10, 11, to 20, and so on, on different machines and different nodes or computation, uh, you know, instances. And then we can say that, okay, the query goes individually to all the partitions and they get processed in a distributed fashion. That is uh, the first thing that sharding helps in. The second is, once you are sharding, especially with MongoDB, you have some type of shard keys. The shard keys are kind of like indexes over the distributed network that you have created. So for example, if you distribute your collection, say based on age, right? Now what happens is when you want to query say users less than age 20, it will actually just reach those partitions where uh, the age of the users is less than 20. It will not even, the query will not even reach the partitions uh, in which uh, the MongoDB knows that the data is not there. So computation comes down. Uh, there's a huge improvement in performance, and like this, you can actually scale out infinitely, almost. So that is the one of the biggest thing in big data and big data applications that is sharding. How you can horizontally break down or partition your data and effectively serve a lot of queries rather than a bottleneck of a single server or single instance.
1: Mm, yeah. So a critical component, and and MongoDB was built for that. It was built with with horizontal scalability in mind. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that sharding and partitioning the database in MongoDB used to be quite complex. Now, do you have any experience sharding a database outside of MongoDB Atlas?
0: Uh, I am not sure about uh, using it outside of Atlas because I mm-hmm. might have not used it. I can mm-hmm. talk about, yeah, this, the traditional databases or SQL or something like that, it is very heavy to maintain or partition those. But... Uh, since I have been using MongoDB, I just go there, define my shard patterns, shard keys, and it automatically automatically does it for me. So, I'm happy to do that, and it's <laughs> I have never seen that bad, uh, you know, bad times or the uh, load bearing times. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So prior to Atlas, you would need to, uh, you need to spin up a separate uh, component in your infrastructure to, to actually manage the the multiple. Uh, uh, the, the multiple shards. So each each shard would have uh, another component. Uh, but all of that complexity has gone away with <laughs> with MongoDB Atlas, thankfully. And another thing that's changed dramatically is that you used to, the pressure to create the right shard key was massive. Uh, because prior to 4.2, version 4.2 of MongoDB, uh, the shard key was immutable, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. So that I have
1: seen that sharding since day one is a
0: high pressure point, so, uh, because if you need to change your sharding or your logic of sharding or the partitions, it was a huge migration that you had to do from one cluster to the other cluster, create it and everything and maintain it. Now with the new versions of MongoDB, it is quite easy to change your shard keys and MongoDB will take care of it. So another thing that, you know, it's off our shoulders. I'm happy about <laughs> yeah.
1: that. Yeah. Yeah it's it's good uh, it's good to to use the ver- the recent versions of MongoDB especially in MongoDB Atlas for sure. Okay so we've talked about the components we need to consider when we're going to develop an application that's going to scale, you know, to large degree. We talked about the importance of data modeling and we talked about the importance of preparing for horizontal scale. What else do we need to think about when we're when we're thinking about developing an application that will will ultimately leverage and, and manage big data?
0: So see, these are the two main components. But internally, these two components also have sub-components, say data modeling, right? Data modeling, your database is one thing. But again, uh, there are some patterns, uh, which also I have talked about in the recent mongodb.live 2021 edition is computed patterns. So everything should not be computed on the read time. Uh, I'll give you an example to or a story around this to help you uh, you know, imagine better. So say we have a music streaming application, right? And that music streaming application builds custom playlists for every user. Say if you want to open that application, you should see all the music that you want to listen, right? And uh, if I open the application, I want to see the playlist built specifically for me. Now we have millions of users across the globe using that application. And we have millions of history of our own, uh, you know, uh, music listening events. Now, how does that application behave in that sense? And it has to do it in real time, right? It it can't say that, okay, come back one week later, or say a few days later, and then you'll get the customized playlist, right? So how does that happen? Now, the trick is, when you're asking for data, okay, give me my playlist. it should not compute the playlist at that particular time, that's That's one data modeling or one architecture I'm talking about. There could be multiple solutions. But yeah, if you're going to calculate, okay, from billions or millions of data, give me the best uh, music that I have listened to and then recommend it on real time, I don't think it it will scale if million of users are asking it on real time, right? But what if when I'm listening to a music and in near real time, it actually fires an event or something like a trigger or something and it pre-computes the data for every user, something like cache patterns, right? Say you want to have a uh, top 10, uh, you know, music, top 10, uh, say you have top, uh, you want to need top 10 tracks that you listen, right? So, uh, whenever a uh, user listens to that track, it fires an event that, okay, user A listened to track number A. And uh, there is a separate collection or a separate uh, place where you store the increments and the counter that, okay, for user A, track A, this is the number of count. And at that instant only, it computes a top 10 and keeps it in a third collection or third place, right? Now, once the user comes in and then says, okay, give me top 10 tracks or top 50 tracks of a country, or you know, top, top 100 tracks of uh, say a genre or something. So it is quite easy. It will be a very simple lookup that it's already there in the database. I just want to go get that and show it to the user. I don't have to do any computation, anything. So that is one pattern. And, you know, it involves data modeling, software architecture. It involves building or, you know, it's just an architecture that you have to follow to build that application. Simple application getting a little bit complex over the time to serve millions on billions of us- uh, users.
1: I enjoy the ability to, to get that type of detail on demand in real time. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So terrific. Well, thanks for that explanation. So let's say we've got some folks listening that, that are going to be getting into an an application development cycle. They know that they're going to have to scale. What other advice might you have for them? What resources might they, uh, might you recommend?
0: So for resources, uh, Obviously, the first thing is, if you're using MongoDB, you can go ahead and check the MongoDB documentation. The second is, before choosing MongoDB, actually check what your use case is and how it is going to suffice, uh, your use case. Obviously, there are a lot of tech stacks in the world built for specific use cases, offline systems, near online systems, online systems, and so on. And uh, currently, with MongoDB Atlas in place, it has actually made all of these some of these text tags redundant. So say we have Elasticsearch as a search engine, right? But right now we have MongoDB Atlas search. So rather than duplicating your data to a different search engine for search queries or free text searches, you can actually use the same collection in MongoDB Atlas and build a search uh, index on top of it. Uh, Again, if you want to have event-driven architectures like Kafka, Redis, or any type of pub subs, then again mongodb has their its own change streams that you want to manage yourself or atlas has managed change streams uh, actually known as mongodb triggers so you can have database triggers you can have uh, different type of triggers that are there in the atlas and uh, model your application so first is get your tech stack and your uh, uh, you know your technologies right depending on your use case the second is don't think about the complex or the best performance from day 1 it is how you scale for the first 10000 users or the first 100000 users and then once it reaches that time you build a more complex or better performance solution for millions of users and so on uh, it, it it is built in phases rather than okay taking 6 months and building a system for millions of users which might not be uh, you know might not be used by at least even uh, 10000 users
1: yeah so incremental that's incremental. that's good advice yeah, yeah. Um, what has been your, your, your favorite thing about the MongoDB Atlas platform? What, what feature or, or product aspect do you, do you find most useful?
0: My favorite aspect would be the MongoDB change streams and the MongoDB triggers. So change streams is the native one and MongoDB triggers is the managed change streams that Atlas provides. So both my sessions around MongoDB.live were built on triggers because it is one thing that you can do asynchronous processing. Uh, when you are building your application so at the read time or the write time, you don't need to handle all the scenarios, build all the logic and everything, it is just a CRUD operation and you can leave all the business logic use case out of it, uh, You know, push it to a trigger and it will be available in near real time and that is one thing that is managed by Atlas so I don't have to worry about crashes, conflicts or any, any other kind of thing, it's always available for uh, for uptime, yeah
1: do you place the logic of your trigger in a realm function?
0: Yes, yes. So triggers is binded with the realm functions. Uh, whenever you want to build a trigger, a trigger has, okay, you want to target these type of operations and, uh, or say, these type of uh, events that are happening on that collection. And for every event, the function, a realm function would be invoked processing your logic. That, like, okay, do this, do that for that event.
1: Um, are you are you leveraging third-party HTTP calls to other APIs? Or are you really doing a lot of your logic in the Realm functions?
0: It depends. Normally, in an ideal scenarios, your event triggers should be light enough. Okay, this is the event. This is the uh, logic I need to implement and do some CRUD operations or some uh, database operations, right? But obviously, if there is a, some event and you need heavy processing or a long-term computation, you need to export it out. Two ways to do that. You can build separate functions or smaller functions for that inside Realm, and from one function you can call the other functions if you want to break it down or you know manage it better. But uh, if it is you know uh, it's a use case not solved by Realm or say a very dedicated machines or some computation or something, then yes, obviously you can push that event to uh, via an HTTP call or a socket call or anything maybe in your own uh, application framework or your cloud or anywhere, yeah.
1: Mm, Great, great. Now, any time we discuss big data, I I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't include some talk of the aggregation framework. And I want to get to to charts as well, but let's talk a little bit about the aggregation framework. What's been your experience with um, MongoDB aggregations?
0: This one particular unique feature is one of the biggest and the most powerful features of MongoDB. Uh, you know, making it more unique than other solutions out there in the market. Because w- there is almost nothing that the aggregations can't solve. Uh, in the older versions or you know, technologies handling data, there is something known as MapReduce. But that MapReduce is comes with a lot of computation power, with a lot of uh, with a lot of resources that it needs to run, right? Aggregation framework is very intelligent and scales with your normal backend applications. So rather than making it a very huge map reduce job, you can actually have dedicated aggregation stages. Say you want to bucket the data, you want to map data, group data, sort them, sort and bucket and something like that. So there are, there's a whole lot of world around the aggregation and you can actually, uh, aggregation was previously used only for reading purposes. Now, Uh, with the new versions, I guess 4.4 or 5.0, you can actually use aggregations in updates as well as you can push the data back to a collection. So rather than building a cron job or a scheduled job for your uh, you know, for computation and then processing data, you can use a scheduled trigger and uh, use that scheduled trigger to uh, run an aggregation query. That aggregation query builds your computation or business logic, and then outputs it back to a collection. So the whole thing of managing a separate application service just goes away. It's a single query, single aggregation pipeline that does everything for you, and you can directly output that to a collection.
1: At a really basic level, what is the MongoDB aggregation framework?
0: Okay, so basically when you talk about CRUD, right? Create, read, update, delete. Let's talk about the reads, right? What is a read? It's like a find query. Okay, given my set of filters, return me the data, right? Now, what if this was like a pipeline with some stages? So think about every stage, a computation computation kind of stage that, okay, first match the documents, then group the documents, then sort the documents, and then give me just the first five documents. So these are four stages of a pipeline that you want to run. Now aggregation is nothing but a pipeline of different computation stages, and there are a lot of stages that MongoDB gives you, from as simple as match stages and group stages to complex stages as uh, playing with geospatial data or uh, you know bucketing or kind of or even facets. So you can actually break down the pipeline into multiple pipelines internally, and you're yeah, using facets. Uh, users might be, you know, happy to check it out on the documents, uh, the MongoDB documentation, and even if you want to have some on uh, hands-on practice or want to have better understanding, you can go to the MongoDB University. It's, I guess, the best place for me to learn, you know, aggregation uh, hands-on.
1: And there's a great new book, uh, written by Paul Doan, called Practical MongoDB Aggregations. A fantastic resource. I'll include a link in the notes. Uh, so check that out if you want to take take your understanding of MongoDB aggregations to the next level. What about charts? Are you leveraging charts as a part of your applications today?
0: Uh, yeah, I have been using charts in my previous applications of when I built it. It's a beautiful product again. So I am a huge fan of the Atlas world because in a single, you know, in a single place you have almost everything integrated again uh, as i was telling you that mongodb atlas is you know removing a lot of tech stacks out there in the world because it's a central place charts is one place you don't even need to write any code you just need to connect your charts application to a data source uh, and that data source can be any database any collection uh, you just import it drag drop some columns or something change a few configurations and you have a full dashboard ready right uh, and that is a real time dashboard that is built so whenever your data is changing, the dashboard is automatically changing with it. And the best part is you can embed that chart or use that chart in your own applications. So just export it out of MongoDB and uh, just embed it in your live applications. So no code required. All the charts, all the analytics, everything in the live real-time manner is available. So,
1: Well, Shrey, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me about big data analytics and and all of the the various tools in the MongoDB platform that you're making use of. Uh, it's been a great discussion. Anything else you want to mention before we we're, we wrap?
0: Uh, not really. If anyone is interested in learning more about MongoDB or seeing cool stuff, so there is a developer hub. So it's MongoDB developer hub, plus the community forums, plus the uh, MongoDB.live sessions. So. There are some places you actually go in and you get a better look on the architectures or the patterns that more users are actually following. So, a place where you can learn about how to scale your
1: systems. Yeah, 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 fantastic. So I'll, I'll put some notes, uh, links in the notes. Make sure you check those out uh, and jump into the MongoDB community forums. Check out the developer hub for great code examples and, and articles on how to how to do what we're talking about today. Terrific. All right, Trey, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, consider leaving a rating and a review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Hey, if you've got a great story about MongoDB or something related to MongoDB, software development or data, and would like to appear on the MongoDB podcast and chat about it, head on over to mongodb.link slash podcast guest. It's all one word, lowercase. Have a great day, everyone.